I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to another Rugby League Down South podcast, the second episode of 2016. Check this out. Uh, Two episodes in two months. It's almost unheard of, isn't it? Uh, Well, it is in uh, recent months at least. Uh, but hoping to keep this up throughout 2016 for the podcast. Uh, this month then, we're dedicating the programme to one man, Harold Genders, the man responsible for taking Rugby League to London in its current form uh, back in 1980 and setting up Fulham Rugby League Club. We'll hear all, all about him and his contributions to the game in that period from the writer Peter Lush, and we'll also hear from the man he employed as a player coach back in 1980, Reg Bowden, well worth a listen. And that's all we have in this week's, or this month's podcast as it is. Um, two feature-long interviews and something that I wanted to do with the Rugby League Down South, turn it into more uh, featurey items um, to complement the Rugby League Down South fanzine, which you, if you haven't had your hands on, uh, the first volume or issue went very, very well. Um, you can get it at Broncos Home Games. It's also hopefully going to be available at a couple of other clubs as well. I know if you have signed up, more details in episode two. Uh, for more details of that, you can check out rlds.uk. Uh, head to the website there. It does go through to my website, but you can then forward through to the uh, the page where you can either order it online or at least uh, find out a few more details. So rlds.uk uh, is the website. Um, just to mention before we get onto the content then, a great start for Broncos. Uh, four from five so far in the championship. The League One clubs as well getting their seasons underway. Not quite the start that maybe they wanted. Um, thank you for your support as well for the podcast in 2016. Great to see the uh, stats rising so quickly. Uh, more on the future later. But now to the action. I want to start with a few quotes. These are quotes that you'll hear throughout the podcast at various points. Harold Genders was a man above men. He had the foresight to set up what no one thought was possible. None of this would have happened if it wasn't for him. He's one of the best men I've ever met in my life. A man well before his time. Just a few of the quotes that you'll hear in this programme and ones that sum up the contributions of Harold Genders, the man whose idea it was to take Rugby League to London when he went to the Challenge Cup final in 1979 and realised there was a lack of interest from the main newspaper editors who were based in London. Wondered why, investigated and thought we need to take the game to London. And he did, setting up Fulham in 1980. So here is the story about that period, about the time, what happened. We'll hear from Peter Lush, a writer uh, at London League Publications, who'll tell us all about his contributions. And then we'll hear from uh, Reg Bowden, the player, coach and scrum half of the original Fulham team. First though, all the details about Harold Genders. 
If you may or may not have heard of him and his contributions, I'm sure you may well know the name now. For fans who were around at the time of 1980, hopefully this will stir a few of your memories. For those who are more um, later uh, spectators to the sport in London, or younger fans in particular, hear the details of quite why you're enjoying what you do now. That's the the simplest way uh, to explain it. It is a bit of a long chat with uh, Peter, 15 minutes or so, but I wanted to give you the comprehensive view and all the details. There's so much more we could have mentioned as well. But here is Peter Losh, the writer from London League Publications, with the details and what he can tell us of his experiences with Harold Genders. I think his contribution to rugby league in London was immense. Um, when he had the idea of setting up the London team, it's it's difficult to understand now because we're so used to the game being all over the country. But there hadn't been a team in London since the 1930s, a club team. There hadn't been a new team in rugby league since the early 1950s. And it was almost 30 years since someone had tried to set up a team in Cardiff, which had only lasted one season. So rugby league was strong in the late 1970s under David Oxley and David Howe's direction, but it was completely isolated in the northern, what they call the heartlands. So Harold's having the foresight and initiative to set up a team in London and think that this was possible... Well, it, it was enormous, and it has had such an impact that I don't think even he could have anticipated you know, how things would develop from those humble beginnings of thinking which football club would be the best one to approach. I mean, you mention it in the um, the piece you've written for the Rugby League Down South um, fanzine about the uh, 1979 Challenge Cup final where he sort of realised there was no real national newspaper interest there and sort of thought, you know, we need, we need to do something about that. Um, but, I mean, what, what did he tell you? Because I know you've done, obviously, um, various bits about Harold and with Harold. Um, what did he tell you about the, the idea and the sort of the reasoning behind why he wanted to do it? wanted to take the game out of its northern heartlands. He thought it was a marvellous sport. He played it as a youngster and then retired in his mid-twenties to concentrate on his career in the building industry. Um, And he wanted to take an initiative to spread the game. And he approached Ernie Clay, having looked at various football clubs. uh, He thought... Obviously, rugby union was completely off-limits in those days because it was amateur and there was no question of, of sharing a, a stadium uh, owned by a rugby union club. So he approached Ernie Clay because Fulham were in a bit in the doldrums at that time. They And Ernie Clay was a northerner, although he had no great interest at the time in rugby league. I think what people don't realise is that Harold was a director of Warrington at the time um, with his business uh, colleague, Ozzie Davis, Sir Oswald Davis, who was the chairman of Warrington. And he therefore had to stay in the background until the club was accepted by the Rugby Football League as members. The day that happened, he resigned from Warrington. Warrington, well, sorry to lose him, but understood the reasons. And that was, um, you know, when it, 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 it all really got going. So although... Ernie Clay and I think Malcolm McDonald was involved uh, with the public face. Harold was there behind the scenes from the very beginning. And it was his initiative to, to have the idea of a team. 
Did this cause many waves back in the 1980s? I mean, obviously, um, I don't remember at those days. Was, was this big news, you know, rugby league having a London side? The first season was because of the novelty. I mean, there was national newspaper coverage, uh, television coverage. It was mentioned on Match of the Day, um, particularly because although the team were all based in the north, except for Adrian Cambriani, who was Welsh uh, and was brought, came over from Wales, um, they played Wigan in the first game. Wigan had drifted in the 1970s and been relegated. So to play Wigan, the best-known name, one of the best-known names in rugby league, and it, and it, it was such a novelty. And, a lot, and also they made the sensible move of, it was of giving a free ticket to every Fulham football club season ticket holder. So they had a, the basis of a crowd in that, and people cheered on Fulham. They didn't understand the game. Um, but they cheered a team on playing under the name of Fulham. And, of course, they won that first game, and it, it all took off from there. And the, the drama of that first season, I'll certainly never forget and I was going along as a fan with a friend of mine who Dave my business partner now in our publishing company who was from Salford and I remember those Sundays at Craven Cottage so well and it really did have an impact Go on then tell us about that debut season Well I don't think the, the new people to rugby league like me understood the quality of the team that Harold had put together it was very much some of them were veterans, um, people like Tony Karelius, World Cup winner for, for Great Britain, uh, David Eckersley. Reg Bowden at scrum half was uh, probably the best uncapped scrum half and a great choice as player coach. And the one who became the hero was the first Yorkshireman that Harold signed, of course, because the team was based in Witness, Ian Van Bellen. And you had this guy with a receding hairline, a, a pot belly, grabbing hold of the ball and just banging into people and knocking them out of the way. And the crowd loved it. I remember in the second season, because Ian was released after the first season because he was seen to be as too old for the first uh, uh, division. And somebody said to us when we were losing a game at home, it said, they said, it hasn't been the same since the Dutchman left. And I thought, the Dutchman? What are they talking about? And of course they meant Ian Van Bellen. And despite all the skillful backs and everything and the Adrian Cambriani, a young winger, Ian Van Bellen was the hero because he was so different from the, for us soccer fans, something we'd never seen before. You know, this, this fat, big guy banging into people with the ball, it, it was fantastic. And we talk about Fulham, that's the history, that's where they were. Um, but you say they had conversations that uh, Harold Genders did with, um, with, with other clubs about sharing. Could we be 30 years on, 35 years on now as we are, talking about another name not Fulham, or was Fulham really the only option? I think one of the other ones he mentioned, oddly enough, was Hereford United. But I don't know, it was near Wales, obviously, where there could have been interest. And of course, after Fulham, a lot of other football clubs looked at it. Some, I mean, including Charlton Athletic, where the Broncos played later. I know that Portsmouth looked at it. Cardiff City, of course, they'd set up a team. There was a team based at Mansfield for a time. Um, so others tried the model. Um, but I don't know that Harold actually spoke to any other, any other clubs. And is it possible to sort of sum up Harold's few years there in terms of how it went and sort of why it ended? 
Um, in those days, there were four teams promoted from the second division and four relegated. And it was a quite a big gulf and it was very difficult for the teams who went who were promoted to stay in the first division. And in the second and of course Fulham had no second team. Virtually every rugby league club at that time had an A team, so they could have a, a better squad. Fulham didn't have that and it was always a weakness. So in the second season, although he signed a number of new players, I did speak to him much later on and he realised you know, it's easy in hindsight that he'd released some of the older players too early, that they could have been squad players, people like Van Bellen and Karelius, who went on playing in the second division, and uh, possibly Ian McCorkadale, who was a goal-kicking winger, that in the second season we ran out of players, really, were borrowing players from clubs and were relegated. He then built a new team um, and won the second division again very easily in, in, in 1982-3, a very talented team. But realised then, in the start of the 83-4 season, that by then the football club were doing better. Um, they, and they weren't so interested in the rugby league anymore. No money was forthcoming to strengthen the squad. And at the end of September, Harold resigned. I think he'd become a bit disillusioned with the setup at Fulham. And um, uh, unfortunately, the team were relegated. And at the end of the season, Fulham Football Club pulled out. And had it not been for the intervention of Roy and Barbara Close, who became the club owners and rescued it at some cost to themselves, um, Fulham Rugby League would have died. And that would have set the game back enormously because all the, all the sceptics up north would have said, oh, it's failed in London. And you still get one or two, including one prominent former Great Britain player who loved to criticise London. Now, we've been around for 36 years. You think they'd, you know, they'd accept that the game has a base here. And I guess Harold must have been proud of, of what he achieved, you know, setting up the club and looking at it now as it is, like you say, 36 years on. Um, did you sort of did, did you speak to him or did you have any dealings with him in the sort of recent last few years or, or did you ever talk to him about how he felt the game had gone having not been involved in it but being the one who was the the conception of it? Um, I had some contact with Harold when Lionel Hurst became chief exec of the Broncos around I think it was two thousand and one. He wanted to, we wanted to set, try to set up a past players association and Nana and I did a couple of trips up north and I remember we met up with the Huddersfield past players who had a very well organised association and I remember Harold coming over with Red Bowden and three or four others from Witness to meet them and then we went to watch Huddersfield play the London Broncos. After that, um, and of course we launched his book in uh, 2000, The Fulham Dream, which he'd written in the early 80s and then not got a publisher for. And we had a marvellous night at Reg Bowden's club in Widnes. It was the first time all the old Fulham players had got together since they left Craven Cottage. Some had continued with the club, some had left. There was some dissent because of some of them went to Warrington with Reg, who left to become player coach at Warrington. And that was a marvellous evening. You know, them all there, Hussein and Barkey came, um, you know, so many of the old faces. It was absolutely fantastic. Sadly, for the few years before he died, Harold had Alzheimer's and I really lost touch with uh, him and his wife, Shirley. 
And but uh, his contribution, I, I think, was outstanding because he had the foresight that, to, and, and the, the bottle, the confidence to, to set up a team where nobody else thought it was possible. And, uh, I mean, you've already mentioned a few names, you know, mainly people on the pitch, but did he have sort of key people around him at that time when, it, when he set up Fulham? Or who were the people that he recruited that he knew were going to help him achieve what he wanted to achieve at that point? I think the, the administration was largely run by Fulham. I remember he recruited a guy called Gordon Pinkney to be the physio. Um, I think the key signing, actually, was Reg Bowden. Because Reg was not only a very good player and became a very good player coach, but he was also someone who was very articulate, was very much on the pitch that could be the public face of the club. I think someone else who also sadly has died recently, although similarly sadly with Alzheimer's, who should be mentioned is Colin Welland. Because Colin brought a bit of glamour to the club. Find another rugby league team that's had a team photo taken with uh, a board member holding an Oscar sitting in the middle of them. And of course, that was for Chariots of Fire. And Colin was rugby league through and through and uh, was a a great uh, ambassador for the game. I think the other person, two other people should be mentioned. One is Ernie Clay, who I think had, again, the foresight, because sharing a pitch with another sport, a stadium with another sport was almost unheard of then. To do that and to say, we're going to do this. All right, the motive was partly to raise money for Fulham, but he, again, had the foresight to actually do that. The other person who must be mentioned, who was the groundsman at Craven Cottage at the time, is Steve McGee. Because Steve McGee has been so loyal, initially to Fulham Football Club and then to the, the rugby league team the, uh, and the Broncos. And I think he's one of these behind-the-scenes people, a very modest guy, lovely guy, who is still involved in the club, uh, 36 years on from being a young groundsman at Craven Cottage, trying to learn how to put rugby league posts in the ground and mark out the pitch properly. And in terms of your memories of Harold, then, how will you remember him? You've, you've talked about his achievements and what he's done. And as a fan back in 1980, when you were going to Craven Cottage, um, you've obviously published his book, you know, published his book, what will you or how will you remember him? I think as someone who was, I liked him, I worked with him both on our first book, Touch and Go, where we interviewed him and then on his own book. I think he was um, a great judge of players. That was his strength of player recruitment. Um, I think he was also a very successful in his business career. And I remember going to his house uh, it, it, near Lee, and there were photos all over of things he, his company had built in the north of England. Also a rugby league man through and through. Um, so I, I enjoyed working with him. Um, and I think also for a lot of people, the, it was literally life-changing. Um, I look at things I've done and I'm not, you know, the opportunities I've had through publishing to work with some of the sports great players, you know, people like uh, Billy Boston, Neil Fox and many others. And also as a publisher to give young authors the opportunity um, to to publish their books, to record their players to record their careers and really develop rugby league publishing along with a number of other people and other a number, small number of other companies none of that would have happened had it not been for harold and if we look for at the development of rugby league now with the number of clubs at not just the scholars but 
Hemel, University of uh, Gloucester, Oxford. Uh, we're working on a book on Coventry at the moment, the Rugby League Conference, uh, the growth of the amateur game, the schools game, what's happened in Wales. All that, to me, stems from the breakthrough with Fulham Football Club. And that is really Harold Gender's legacy to me. That's the writer Peter Lush with his stories, his memories and the details of the contributions of Mr Harold Genders, um, who took the club, or took Rugby League in fact, to London and setting up Fulham in 1980. Um, if you want more details, more comprehensive um, stories as such, there is an article in the latest Rugby League Town South fanzine. Uh, issue 2, it's available at the Broncos' next home game. I know that. It's uh, out to print at the moment as I speak. And uh, you can get your hands on the details. Uh, order it online, rlds.uk, as I mentioned before. So then on to Reg Bowden, the player coach and scrum half of that original Fulham team. One of a um, few key figures at the club at Craven Cottage in that era from what 1980 to 1984. I spoke with Reg a few weeks ago now, caught him uh, in between times away. It was lucky that I called him when he, when I did, really. Um, he says he doesn't particularly uh, like staying around uh, in this country now. He's uh, retired. He likes uh, getting away and, and enjoying his time. Um, but managed to catch him at home, took him away from the decorating that he was, um, that he was doing at the time. And he, he, the stories that he says now, it just, it was a different period completely to what um, position the sport is in in London and the South now. Fascinating to see how it started, how it was, and interesting to see quite how far it's come and how it's set up now, but also maybe the things that Reg talks about that, hey, not necessarily criticisms, but he says, you know, some things aren't as good, obviously, as they were um, back in the 1980s about the sport in London in particular, um, in terms of numbers of fans maybe and the attention that they got um but interesting thoughts from him about why that maybe is so and and what he thinks about it um the phone line is a bit dodgy for the first few minutes of this chat again it's a it's a long one it's just over 20 minutes long um but again it was just a delight to talk to Reg Bowden, a man whose name had been mentioned to me many a times since I started covering uh, rugby league in the south and um, I'd never managed to catch up with him. So delighted to uh, be given his number and have a chat with him. And I'm sure people will tell you, lovely bloke, very happy to chat and very happy to chat about his um, experiences in London and quite what he um, contributed to the game at the time um, of Harold Genders. And I love this quote uh, from him, which you'll hear, where he just says, we were the, Har- we were the Harlem Globetrotters of Rugby League at the time, which I think pretty much sums up the scenario, the setting, the feeling that was around uh, when Rugby League arrived in London in its current guise back in 1980. This is the man who was the player coach, scrum half of that Fulham team in 1980. It's Reg Bowden. Uh, he rang me up uh, in the, uh, the summer um, of 1980 and said to me, would I be interested in playing for Fulham? I put the phone down and then I said, I can't play football, I know nothing about football. And rugby league, I thought it was a hoax. So I put the phone down and uh, he rang me back and he explained who he was, what he was and what he was trying to do. And I sat down and listened to him for about half an hour and he said, would I meet him? I then met him at the uh, Hillcrest, which is a hotel in Witness. 
and he discussed and put his plans down. And going up there, I went there, you know, just just out of um, a little bit of curiosity and, and really to for good manners, uh, because I thought there's no chance that um, anybody could be playing uh, at Fulham's ground or, or any other London ground. It was uh, the Northern Corridor was long M62, and that's where Rugby League was. It started, tried it before, and, and never succeeded. But when he explained to me exactly what he was um, going to do and how he was going to go about it and everything else, and it was going to be not just uh, myself, uh, but the selection of players, and he gave me a list of players that were available to sign. Uh, having been sat with him for 10 minutes, I was in line and seated. Uh, the man had done his homework very, very well indeed. He was uh, very astute. Um, knew his rugby league inside out. He's one of the few men I've ever met uh, who's very good at business and a, and a great personality. And um, they don't come in that, that combination. And to convince you that to give up uh, at that particular moment, I was captain of witness. And um, we've won everything. We've won every trophy there was uh, in, the, in the previous two years. And to give the, all this up to go down and start a, a club in London, which was just a, a folly of his, uh, so I thought at the time, uh, was really, uh, it took some convincing. What was it about his plan, Reg, that, that, that convinced you, you know, you said that he'd done his homework, sort of what was it that made you think, do you know what, yeah, you know, this is this is, this is is the right thing? Well, what he's done is, what he said to me was uh, that the catchment area in, uh, in Fulham, in London, because of all the Australians, because there's a lot of uh, rugby league people in, in, the, in the city uh, who have not got a chance to go and watch it, he said, we've got a catchment area, he said, of the London area, not just Fulham, he said, we've got Flixen, he said, we've got Tottenham, he said, he said, every area, he said, of London, there's different people from all over the world who love rugby league. He said, but they haven't got a chance to go and see it live. He then in, brought out a, a paper with some absolutely tremendous players that, that, that they've taken time, like Savali Beverly, Ian Van Bellen, um, David Eckersley and people like this, uh, Roy Lester, uh, and Malaspie and all these who were available could be available because he'd been in touch with different clubs and they're all la- la- laughing at him as, as such but they said yeah there's people on the transfer list Cause, because he was with Warrington he could get all of the transfer list and these people were all were all there ready um, so having gone through them all with him we realised it was going to cost quite a bit of money he said and what he always said to me was you don't worry about the money let me worry about the money you worry about how you play and that's how we went on as, as a team I thought we were, we were excellent as a team he'd done all the uh, wheeling and dealing and everything else I'd done all the training and we got together uh, twice a week and sat down and discussed the team and he was very very knowledgeable about rugby league as a matter of fact he taught me a great deal about the man management of the, the game because I was only captain of witness and all I looked after was the team on the park. So to have a man who explained how you go about um, negotiating with players, what you do with it, it's all different ball games to me whatsoever. And he taught me an absolutely tremendous uh, amount in the three and a half years I was with him. And what was it like in those days as well? Because am I right in saying that the team trained mostly in the north and just tr- came down at the weekends just to play the games? Yes, and um, what we've done is we trained up here. We trained at a place called Goldburn, 
which is uh, just outside of Lee and Warrington. And uh, good enough, the Golden Sports Club gave us their facilities, which were uh, pitches and two lived um, showers and amenities and a club. Uh, and they were absolutely tremendous at the time, the committee of the Golden Sports Club. And they took us under the wing and, and watched us develop. I mean, I remember the first day I went training uh, and it was only me and Roy Lester. And uh, I'd signed uh, uh, the captain on at the time, Tony Corelius, who had retired. And um, there was three of us went training. And as the weeks progressed, uh, the Golden um, Committee come to every training to watch us. And it just grabbed it got bigger. It was three, four, six, eight, nine. And we were only a week before we played at our first match against Wigan, the inauguration game at uh, Fulham, that we only had uh, 12 players. We signed three on that week, no, four on that week, to make sure we had 16 players before we played Wigan at uh, Craven Cottage. So it was, it was like a hit and miss sort of thing, but everybody we signed, we didn't just sign anybody. We signed people uh, who we believed, Harold and I believed, would win, not just to make the numbers up in a, in a, a division of rugby league. Everybody we signed was winners, and, and that's how we wanted it. We, we wanted to hit the ground running. Um, we wanted to um, make a, a statement, and um, we did. The first game when we beat Wigan at home, it just went through the rugby league like, like a riprap. Uh, and everybody then realised that we weren't just a novelty team, we were somebody who took serious. And what was it like playing in those times? Because there are a number of fans who remember those days, 14,000 at Fulham. As a player, what was that like? Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. It was one of the, I would say, I've had, I've had great times in rugby league. I've been to Wembley four times. I've played in about 20 cup finals. You could not beat... Um, the Fulham days and then every time we went down there was like playing the Wembley every other week we were playing there every time we were on the road and going to the grounds we were bringing in under 3,000 crowds every, every stadium we went to we, we were like uh, we were like the Harlem Globetrotters of Rugby League at that particular time everybody wanted to see us they wanted to see how you could put a team together in, in the space of uh, two and a half months and beat the, one of the best teams in the game and, and yes, we come and suck a few times, we took a, a few teams a little bit complacently, uh, but on the whole, every one of the players that I, that Harold and I signed, um, all had the same um, idea, and they all had the same will to win, and they wanted the club to do so well, and they wanted themselves to do well. Uh, to be honest with you, most players in rugby league, I would say 99% of them, play uh, to make sure that everybody realises how good they are. They don't just go out there and go through the go through the motions. They want everybody to see that they're they're actually a force to be reckoned with as a player, and that's the beauty of rugby league. Everybody goes out and gives everything they've got, and in them days we were playing for winning and losing money, which is a, a hell of an incentive. If you're going to get five pound for a lose and fifty pound for a win, when you think in them days most people were only on their forty pound a week wages, the difference was unbelievable. So it was it was a massive. Uh, incentive as a player in two reflects one's for the money because we were professional and two because you wanted to prove to everybody that you've gone to a club who, who could hold their own in any rugby league you you personally and the team that you were with were good enough if not better than supposedly the best teams in the land and you mentioned in those days you know 
people wanted to watch you people wanted to see you there was so many people you, you know the crowds were great just I mean, it could be a stupid question but when you look at what's happening uh, with rugby league in london now what what do you think the difference is why why was it that so many people wanted to see you though in those days and and why not now is it is it the fact that the novelty factor's worn off is that all it is no, I don't think so. I think the stadium was the most important thing. I think for Craven Cottage was was the home of, of the rugby league. It started it off. It's absolutely fantastic stadium. Uh, the chairman, Ernie Clay, was absolutely tremendous. Uh, everybody in the club themselves, and Malcolm McDonnell at the time was the PR man. Um, he later become the uh, manager of the football team. And that's when, when really, um, it went a little bit awry uh, because... Um, Malcolm done that good of a job with the football, and but we done that good of a job with the football because I remember talking to quite a number of football players because we, we met on, on on quite a number of occasions because quite a lot of them used to come to the games, <coughs> and they were saying that when they when they go down on the football pitch, they all shout into them, "You, you bloody babies, get up! We want to come and watch the rugby on a Sunday." So a lot of the team at that particular time didn't do the dives that a lot of the football teams do now. A lot of the Fulham lads uh, were programmed to get up and carry on. And apparently they'd they done a lot better in, in the scoring uh, department because of this. Instead of trying to go down for the penalty, they, they were actually going to the ball and scoring. So the, the thing that happened with, with the difference in it all is that uh, when Malcolm done, done a great job with the, with the, the lads, and it was a bad winter, and I think Fulham were about nine points clear coming the Christmas of the second division. And it looked like they were going for promotion, or they had a great chance of getting promotion. And the Football League, from what I understand, it may not be right, but would not allow Rugby League to be played on the first division football pitch. So if they got promotion, we would have to leave the stadium. And that was the, the, the be-all and end-all, and that's when Harold had a big argument with the, with Ernie Clay and said that, that we're bringing in more crowd, we're doing this, that and the other. And, and at the end of the day, it was a football ground and it was a football stadium. So that's when we, at the end of the season, we looked up, they looked as though they were going to get promotion. They didn't, but uh, things had already been put in place um, for Fulham... Uh, rugby league team to move away from them. That's why I left. Um, David Eckersley left uh, Saint Embarky, and um, a few other players all left. David Allen and went to went to other teams because we did not want to be associated with a team that was going to be a nomadic tribes team. And as much as Roy Course, absolutely tremendous man, and his wife Barbara, who took it over. Uh, they could not give you the stability of uh, Ernie Clay and Fulham football ground. So that's where it, it sort of went down. Um, we, we, we were a, a demise of our own success at times, um, but that's life, isn't it? So you, you can't stop uh, progress. Um, Fulham Football Club would, if they would have got promotion, we would not have been able to play on the ground, but no one had the, the foresight to see that they weren't because that season, come January, February, when the um, the winter subsided slightly, everybody started winning. And they all started, even though there were six, seven games behind Fulham, they come back and beat them, uh, beat them to the championship and ended up 
he never got promotion. So there was a lot of uh, discontent then in everybody's camp, the football team, because they've not got promotion. The supporters, because they got rid of uh, the rugby league team. So it, it, it was not a very uh, happy time for the Fulham supporters, and I felt for them really, because they, they'd not they'd lost in two ways. They'd lost the rugby league club from being at their ground, and they'd not got promotion with the football team from looking like having the best of both worlds. They ended up with nothing, which is normally the case in a, in a great deal of uh, things like this. It's a question that I ask many sort of former players and people who've given their time and given their their efforts to um, sort of grow the game in London. When you look at the sport in the capital and in the south, because it, it has now grown to sort of more than being just London and, and just the now London Broncos side. But what do you think? You know, are, are you proud of the part that you played? Are you disappointed that he didn't kick on more? I mean, what are your sort of overall feelings? Oh, I'm, I'm very, very proud of what I've done and I'm very proud of what the lads have done. Uh, we could not have done any more. Um, but, well, we could have, could, have, could have won the first division in Wembley and everything else. Uh, we could have done all that. But as a new club, uh, we, we put the footings down and the foundations and we made, we made it. Uh, all the lads made it so it was it was a strong concern and it was it was a respected rugby league club it wasn't just a, a fly by night club which I'm afraid it is now at the moment uh, and it's it's um, it's not got the um, prestige that it had it, when we were there the four years we were there it's one of the most prestigious clubs in the rugby league I would say it's um, it compared with the Wiggins the Leeds the witnesses of, of this world people wanted to watch Fulham Rugby League Club they didn't treat them as a joke they treated them as uh, an excellent rugby league team and somebody who they knew that they weren't going to get any uh, change out of when they played them so I, I, I think we've done absolutely I personally think we've done an absolutely tremendous job I loved every minute I'm very very proud and so are all the lads I was uh, with Ian McCorkadale at Harold's funeral there uh, last Wednesday and uh, we were talking about him Roy Lester Quite a few new number of the lads are saying in Barkley were Harold's funeral. And we were all talking about what great days they were and they were absolutely fabulous days. He, he, I would not change them for one minute. Even even at the end when it went went uh, wrong and we had to leave the club, um I, I ended up going to Warrington. But I would la- I would have rather stayed there for ten years and stayed if, if it would have been at Craven Cottage. I don't think any of the lads would have moved and we would have gone from strength to strength. It's at the end of the day, Craven Cottage is a football team and it's a football club. And um, it's like a rugby league team. If you put a football team in Europe, yeah, uh, it's still a rugby league uh, town. It's still a rugby league everything. So I, I don't have any um, disappointments with it. I don't, I don't look back and think, oh, would have done this, would have done that. I just look back with very, very fond memories and, and absolutely tremendous times. And so does everyone of the lads. I don't think there's any of the lads who signed and played for Fulham at that particular time um, were disappointed or would, would have changed anything. I don't think any of them would have changed out. Um, we could talk for, for hours, I'm sure. Maybe I'll have to catch up with you later in the season and we'll talk more about your experiences and your feelings. But obviously, the reason I'm talking to you today is because of Harold Genders. You mentioned the funeral um, from last week. And I guess when you all get together, and particularly over, over such an occasion, you end up talking about those good days, how good they were. And I guess for all of you, it was a big part of your life and a big thing particularly that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Harold. 
Well, it changed. It changed everybody's lives. How genders changed um, quite a number of lives. Uh, in, in the rugby league, it changed a lot of lives in his, in his other business with Amec and Furcuffs, which he worked for. Uh, he, was, he was the managing director of them. But Harold Genders was a man above men. Uh, he, he, he gave the, the players, if you, if you give everything for Harold, he would give everything to you. If you didn't, he would, he, he would he'd then turn around and, and discard you because he didn't have time to have people who did not want to be on the same wavelength as him, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Because if you're going to start something like uh, a club in Fulham, everybody's got to be on the, as they say, singing out the same hymn book. And Harold Jenders' hymn book was absolutely fantastic. And it was so easy to grasp. It was so easy to do. So, to be honest with you, everything that he'd done uh, with, with myself and with, with Fulham Rugby League Club, he'd done everything precise, perfect, and that's 110%. Nobody could say anything was wrong in what he'd done. He was absolutely fantastic. Uh, as I said, one of the best men I've ever met in my life, and a great friend, which, <coughs> before I met him, you don't know people, and you make friends with people, but you, some, you just make acquaintances. I'm very fortunate to say that old Jenders was one of my best friends. And I loved him to bits. And, and I can honestly say that most of all, if not all, of the players who played with him respected him and loved him to bits. And that's all you, it's all you want in your life, isn't it? If you go through your life and people give you respect and, and love you to bits, well, you, you can't have done anything a great deal wrong in my life, you can't, anyway. And I suppose one of the feelings that, that's come out through this podcast is that, obviously, if it wasn't for him and what he saw and, and his ideas, the sport wouldn't have expanded how it has... And I guess, would the biggest tribute to him be another successful rugby league side in London, whether it be the Broncos back in Super League winning trophies or you know an, another club or you know, the rise of the game in the South? Do, do you think that that would be a good tribute to him? I think that anything that, uh, that, that made London um, sustain itself and go better would be a, a, a tribute to anybody who starts anything off. But I, I think, personally, the only way that will ever happen is is the proof of the pudding was, was with him, which you attach yourself to an established club. You know, attach yourself to establish a support band, um, like like Fulham or, or any other club. Uh, that, that has, I mean, we tried with Brentford and it just didn't work. I, I think you've got to have a stadium of uh, significant importance, like Fulham was, it was in them days, it was one of the best stadiums in rugby league. So there were people, and people wanted to go down to London um, because a lot of the teams that we were playing in that particular time never in their history have been to Wembley, never played at Wembley, would never have a chance of playing at Wembley. So every one of them who were going down there, they had a chance to go to London as the capital and her team was to play and to watch it and have the same um, enjoyment, thrill, as if they were going to Wembley. And that may seem a little bit uh, over the top, but that's what people projected to us when we were playing and how they loved it. I remember standing on the back, on the back of the uh, Miller stand, uh, which is which goes out onto the Thames, and there was hundreds of uh, different supporters from Rochdale, or Aiton, or wherever we played. And uh, they, they said this is the, the best thing that's ever happened to their club in their lives. They stood 
down here on the Thames at London having a beer, watch their team play, come down last night going home today. It was it was it was absolutely tremendous um for the supporters. Not just the Fulham supporters, probably the supporters in, in the rugby league. Um people people didn't understand that. You know, the people of the hierarchy, um, the top of the rugby league, um they they weren't at first they were in they were in favour of Fulham uh, oh, I started down there and let's expand it. But once you beat a few of their best teams, uh, they, they, they started uh, winding it in and didn't want to give you anything. I remember in the early days, we only had uh, about 18 players because that's all we had. And when we got a few injuries, um, we were getting fined um, for playing players. So, so we, we cancelled one match because we didn't have enough players. And we got double big fans instead of helping us. You, 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 they were going against the team and I'm thinking to myself they, they don't really want rugby league in London they say they do but they don't want to because they don't want a team like Fulham or another team from London coming up and beating, beating them and it was a, it, it, a little bit prejudiced I think at that particular times in the in the early 80s uh, everyone's saying yes it's a great idea but we, they don't want to beat our team that, that sort of thing that went on so we, we were we were at the cutting edge of, uh, of, of doing things and at the blunt edge of, of, of other things. And obviously everything that you, you've talked to me today has been in, in tribute to Harold, but if you were to sort of finish with a final thought about what he was like as a man, what his contributions were to the game and the expansion in the South, I mean, how would you sum it all up? Well, so once you Harold Genders was uh, a man well before his time. Uh, he was respected. He was a man's man. And that's, that's one of the things that come across. He looked after every one of every one of his charge, and he tried his very very best to make sure that everybody was fit, uh, ate the right food, everybody was ready to fulfil um, the, the full potential of themselves in every game. And he looked after everybody money wise. He paid more money to, to players than uh, to any other team. Because he said uh, you need more reward, he said, because of the travelling you're doing and the actual uh, commitment that you give. Uh, and I thought that was excellent in them days because people are professional. And I do believe that Arnold Genders um, was uh, it's like just a little bit like he had a dream, exactly the same. Uh, and his dream he fulfilled. Uh, the only thing is with his dream, it went a little bit sour due to. Um, circumstances beyond his control where the Football League would not allow uh, a rugby league team to play uh, on a pitch that was going to be used for first division football and that was one of the the things hidden agendas that we didn't even know about and I don't think he knew about so and I think that was um, where he actually I think that was the first time I ever seen him annoyed he never got annoyed uh, he just got even and he's an absolutely tremendous man, but he was a tremendous man. And it's a privilege, an absolute privilege that, that I happened to spend four, four years with, with Fulham with him and the rest of my life after that, knowing him. Uh, that's all I can say about the man. He's an absolutely tremendous man. I'm so glad you stuck it out with a dodgy phone line at the beginning. Uh, the player coach on scrum half of the original Fulham team, Reg Bowden, um, as I said before, a, a real key figure in what happened at the club and in London from 1980 to 1984. 
as you mentioned, still very proud um, of what was achieved in that time. And I like how I sort of mentioned, you know, what would be a tribute to Harold Genders and what would be the way to sort of remember him or, or, or be a tribute to him having success in the future. And I just like how he says that making London, London sustainable and better will be a tribute to all of those that started it in that period. And I think there's very many people working in the game in London and across the South that equally would get that recognition that if there is sustainability and improvement in achievement levels in the, in the capital. And I think many people as well would be sensible to realise that, as we've mentioned on the this, this programme and others uh, for many years, it's not boom and bust. It's not going to happen in an instant. And um, I think you realise that and people know that. And so it will hopefully happen over time. That's what we all hope uh, will happen. And I think that when it does and when the game looks different, people will look back on that time in 1980. And as Reg Bowden says, uh, it'd be a tribute to all of those that put their faith in it and um, started it at that time. And just one mention again for the Rugby League Down South fanzine. Um, I had the privilege of uh, scanning through, proofreading, I think you call it, uh, Volume 2, Issue 2 uh, of the Rugby League Down South fanzine, which is uh, available you, for you to get your hands on. Some cracking stuff in there. It's exactly what I wanted the Rugby League Down South podcast to be, but in just so much more detail than I could ever have imagined um, happening in an audio for, form. And the effort that George is putting in to make sure that um, sort of everyone gets a mention, there's comprehensive guides to all the uh, League One clubs in uh, Volume 2, Issue 2. And um, yeah, I mean, there's some great stories in there, great information, stuff that I didn't know. And I'm not saying that that's uh, overly easy to come by these days. It is. Um, but just a, a great read. And if you um, have thoughts on it, we'd love your feedback. Uh, RLDS underscore at hotmail.com is the email if you'd like to uh, send us your comments. We would appreciate feedback on the podcast, on the fanzine, um, however it is. So um, RLDS underscore at hotmail.com is the email. If you're on Twitter, you can send your comments at RLDS underscore. So note the underscore in both of those. And like I said, the fanzine is um, a great wealth of information, something that maybe this podcast no longer is providing you with in terms of comprehensive guides, although I did try and get hold of Coventry. We're going to get them on next month, I promise. I've been trying for so long, um, but various things happened people losing their voice me waiting a week and then still not having other voice for, for me to talk to so uh, we will do that next month um but if you um are interested in all that stuff i would advise you the rugby league down south fanzine is a cracking read um and while we're here um i just thought as well um i hope that the guys at the london rugby league foundation don't mind uh, but they've produced a superb um promotional video for the game in london the game across the south and what they're trying to do with the london rugby league foundation um inspiring kids trying to get them in trying to get them playing uh, just increase the um the awareness i guess what we're all trying to do of rugby league in the south if you haven't seen it it's on twitter it's on uh facebook you can you can catch it anywhere you know rugby league down south we've definitely shared it on our facebook page um you can catch it on Twitter if you search out London Rugby League Foundation. 
Um, I'm not sure. I guess they have a website. I haven't looked. I should probably go and have a look at that now. But I wanted to finish with the audio of the video because it pretty much stands alone as it is. And I just think it's a fabulous story. There's many more of these to come in the future. There are many of them that have occurred in the past as well. I don't need to mention any names. You'll know who I mean. But this is the type of story that Rugby League Down South for me is all about. And it's how I'd like to finish uh, this second Rugby League Down South podcast for 2016. Thank you once again for your support and thank you for listening. London, a kaleidoscope of people, cultures and activities. Mesmerising with its towering buildings and open spaces. I'm Aaron Sinclair. I'm 16, I'm from South London and I'm a rugby league player for the Brixton Bulls. If you ask any player or spectator what they love about the sport, they'll tell you it's the speed and the physicality, the contact and the tackling. There's a family feel at our club and we have passionate and supportive coaches. Playing in this league gives you the chance to develop yourself. There's a clear pathway to the professional game. I'd like to be playing in the Super League. My ultimate ambition is to play internationally. Rugby League gives me a dream to aim for. It sets me on the right track. It helps me take care of myself and gives me a healthy state of mind. You've got to keep believing in yourself. Like, during a game, it's not over till the whistle blows. Any team can come back at any time. Basically, never give up. It is so important that rugby league is nurtured in the South by getting more young people involved. I'd like to see the sport played more at schools. Growing the sport in London will provide better competition, ultimately strengthening support and participation within the game. You know, I really believe London needs rugby league. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.